Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 163 with Dr. Ellen Ensher. Professor Ensher had so much good stuff to say about mentorship, mentors, proteges, making it all work. So you're going to learn, one, how Ellen applied mentorship wisdom to double her income in one day, two, the real meaning of mentorship, and three, two valuable things every protege can provide even the most senior mentor. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items that we reference here, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep163. While you're there, I hope you check out some of our cool stuff from the Gold Nugget email list where we take the notes for you. If you're driving or running, you can't put pen to paper. Well, we do that and send you the summary wisdom from each guest in an email you can read in under two minutes. And if you're going to say, hey, Pete, I won't remember to actually go over there. Well, you can just text NUG, that's N-U-G, to 444-999 and sign up right from your phone. Please be safe and don't text while driving. But you can access that sign up to the Gold Nugget email list by also texting N-U-G to 444-999 right before you even finish listening to this. Now here's Ellen's story. Ellen A. Ensher, PhD, is a professor of management at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, California, and in 2017 received LMU's Award for Distinguished Teaching. Ellen is the co-author of Power Mentoring, How Mentors and Protégés Get the Most Out of Their Relationships. Dr. Encher has published over 50 articles and book chapters and consulted to a number of organizations, both domestically and abroad, such as Kraft Foods, Leg Mason, Notre Dame University, the Sisters of the Holy Cross, and the United States Navy. Recently awarded the Fulbright Specialist Award, Ellen will be conducting research in Finland in 2017. Ellen is a LinkedIn learning author of two courses on mentoring. You can visit ellenensure.com for mentoring resources and subscribe to her blog. Discussions on media, management, and mentoring at ellenensure.com slash blog. You can also follow her on Twitter, which is at Prof Ellen. Here's Ellen. Ellen, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I'm really excited for this chat. We did need to reschedule because you keep winning teaching awards <laughs> and getting evaluations in the top 5% of professors for you know year after year. Can you open us up by sharing a little bit of what's the secret sauce over there? <laughs> I think it's the students, really, and I'm just lucky to be here. So I've been here at LMU for 20 years, and I actually just did a whole talk on this. So I think my biggest secret sauce is really allowing myself to be fully present in the classroom, regardless of whatever else crazy is going on outside the classroom or even in my own personal life. I think after 20 years of teaching, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. Well, so, you know, we've had a number of guests talk about mindfulness and such. How do you get to that place where you're super present there in the classroom? You know, first thing I do is I have an ironclad rule that we all turn all of our digital devices off. And I sort of joke with them and I say, look, unless you are an organ donor or an organ recipient, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only one here who's a parent, there's really no reason for any of us to have our phones on. 
and we turn everything off. And then it's really just focusing when I'm there because I feel like I really enjoy being in the classroom. I enjoy being with my students and I don't want to let those moments pass me by. And I guess it's in a weird way that one place in my life where maybe I feel like I can kind of control the environment. And so let's control it and be completely present together. Okay, that's good. Well, now let's talk some mentoring here. So you've you're in a book, you've done a couple courses with Linda at LinkedIn when it comes mm-hmm. to mentoring. Can you share, first of all, why mentoring? What got you so fired up and passionate about this specific topic? Well, that goes all the way back to, we just had the 25th anniversary of the LA riots. And in fact, the LA riots is the genesis of my research on mentoring. I was in graduate school at the time when the LA riots happened. And I was actually working in one of the hot zone areas. And after that, one of my clients, the Los Angeles Times asked me to help create a mentoring program and said, is it better to pair people same race or different race with their mentors? And there was no research on that at that point. And I thought it was a really fascinating, useful question. So we randomly assigned people to same race versus different race pairs. And we found out that race matters at first. But the good news is after people get to know each other, those effects of demographics go away and that people pay more attention to things like goals and values and attitudes. So the takeaway is if you can get people when you pair them up in mentoring relationships to learn about each other's deep level similarity quickly, then you can get past those surface distractions. Well, while we're taking a stroll down memory lane, I got a huge kick out of the story you shared about how you doubled your income in one day and how uh, mentors played into that. Can you share that story with us? (laughs) Sure. Well, this was also, I was in graduate school and I was working as a consultant and I was one of the younger members on the consulting team. And I was doing training and development, a lot of management skills classes. And I thought I was pretty good at it until the day I went out with my fellow consultants and we had some margaritas and we started to share about what we were all making. And I learned that everyone else was making double what I was making. So at this point, I was making $50 an hour. They were making $100 an hour. So this is back in the 90s. And... At first, I kind of beat myself up like, oh my gosh, I'm the youngest. I'm not as good. Maybe that's what's happening. But you know, after talking to some other mentors and doing a reality check, you know, looking at my teaching evaluations, I went back to my client and said very tentatively, well, you know, what's the deal with this? And she said, well, you know what? You were a great deal for me. So I gave you what you asked for and you were happy with it. If you want more, you have to ask. So I said, okay, I would like to have $100 an hour. And she said, okay, you got it. So true story. That is fantastic. And so the reason you had started with a low amount is just because you were not aware of the sort of going rate or you had come from a lower sort of compensation. You thought that would be awesome or where did that come from? Yeah, that is a really good question. I think I just did the classic undervalued myself, didn't want to ask, you know, just so happy to get the work, all of that. I mean, since then, you know, the thing I preach to my students, I actually have them do a whole assignment where before you go out in a job market, look and see what people are paying for that job. 
and then certainly be willing to negotiate. But I have to say, I did not heed those tips in my earlier days. And I learned, you know, I had to learn my lesson the hard way. Thank goodness for margaritas, though. <laughs> oh, agreed. That sounds very, very nice right about now. So, okay, so that's one key advantage or benefit right there of mentoring is double your income by getting wise input from others and taking action on it. What have you discovered in your research are some of the other kind of compelling, maybe surprising benefits and evidence to the importance of giving and receiving mentorship? Yeah. Well, actually, we were kind of joking about the margaritas, but there has been, I just want to back up and say there has been really solid, robust research, some of it out of the Center for Creative Leadership that shows that people who have mentors do make more money than those who don't have mentors and vice versa, which I think is really fascinating. So that people who serve as mentors for others actually make more money than those who do not. I mean, other big benefits if you compare mentored versus non-mentored people, you usually see that people who are mentored have more promotions. They usually have higher job and career satisfaction. And then again, you know, looking at the benefits for the mentors, they usually have a sense of regenerativity. They usually get kind of an enhanced excitement and zeal for their field, sense of appreciation, you know, and if you're looking at it organizational wise, we see things like retention, we see development of high potentials. So there's been a slew of research on the benefits, not just for the protege, but also for the mentor and the organization. So there's no question in my mind that it's really helpful. Now, is there any distinction in the research and the benefits associated with if this mentorship is sort of, you know, formal or assigned or like you mentioned earlier, yeah. this is your mentor, like pairings versus it's kind of naturally organically evolved with someone saying, I admire the way you do things and I'd like to learn from you. Does that make an impact there? It does. There's actually been research that's looked at that. And so in general, what we find is that informal relationships tend to be slightly more effective than formal mentoring relationships. However, if you can get your formal mentoring program to kind of feel like an informal program in the sense that you give people choice and that they feel rewarded and they have some control over how the relationship is managed and evolved, then it can be almost as effective as an informal relationship. So it kind of comes down to like, people feeling like they have that sense of chemistry or real connection with each other. Okay, got it. And so then, you know, maybe let's start broad here. When you think about mentorship, can you share with us maybe some broad philosophies or perspectives or principles in terms of maybe what's the right way or the wrong way to think about how mentorship should go down? Well, I think one of the biggest things that I like to talk about is really people should take some pressure off of themselves because I think that there's still like a misguided notion that there's like a soulmate mentor or protege out there <laughs> for you. You know, there's that one right person who will complete you and make all your career dreams come true. And really it's like take some pressure off because there isn't just one right mentor or protege. It's really about having a network of different types of mentors and different types of protégés. And at different points in your life, you need different kinds of different organizations, even mentors across barriers, reverse mentors. You know, and I also think about as you go along in your career, think about mentoring as an additive sort of thing. So keep adding to your group of mentors. Yeah, keep adding to it, basically. Okay. 
Yeah. And I mean, I guess the other thing I would say is the idea of reciprocity. So realizing that the best relationships are those in which both the mentors and protégés give and get. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Well, so now let's sort of zoom in here over on the mentor side, like someone Mm -hmm. has asked you to be your mentor or Mm -hmm. you are assigned to mentor someone. There you are sort of exchanging some conversation. What would you say would be some helpful ground rules or best practices when you're playing the mentor role? Mm, That's a really good question. I just did a whole class on this for lynda.com, so I should know all this. Well, I think the biggest thing I encourage people to start off with is to talk about their mutual expectations. So sometimes I do an icebreaker where I ask people to talk about what's their metaphor of mentoring. And so, you know, you have one person going, oh, I think a mentor is like a doctor and they fix you. Uh you know. And then another person's like, oh, I think a mentor is like a pace car driver. They come out and they help you, you know, when you're in trouble. Well, that could be, you know, two different set of expectations. So I think that's the first thing is talking about roles and expectations and then setting some goals for the relationship. And as well as looking at setting some smart goals for the overall career. And I think both parties should set goals. So what does the mentor want to learn or gain? And, you know, what does the protege want to learn or gain? And then what I love to encourage people to do, the third thing, is to have like an action learning project. So I do a lot of community-based learning with my students. I always encourage my clients to have like a thing (laughs) that mentors and protégés are working on. So you're not just getting together kind of going, okay, what should we talk about? But instead have like a project that you're working on. You know, maybe it's something like for the mentor, we all have these like crazy to-do lists. Maybe there's been something on there that you've been wanting to research or know about. Well, then this could be possibly like a project for you and your protege. Okay, excellent. So thinking about the SMART goals perspective there, could you maybe Mm -hmm. just give us a few examples of some of those that have been established? Because I think in the realm of learning, growth, development, that could seem a little bit fuzzy or less so the S-M-A-R-T. Yeah, so I actually was just reading over my students' work on their mentoring assignments. And so one of the goals he had set with his mentor was to improve his presentation skills and to actually conduct a professional presentation by the end of their time period together. And so that was a really tangible, specific goal. And then the mentor had him look at some TED Talks. He gave him feedback. He did a Skype coaching session with him. So... As a result of that, I mean, the student ended up bringing in like a monitor and, you know, had like lights, camera, action going on. His presentation was so much better because he had worked with his mentor on that goal. Understood. Thank you. Okay. Well, so then now I'm thinking of folks, if they're in the midst of career, they're thinking, well, you know what? It would be great to have an extra dose of guidance, mentorship. Where do you start in terms of, I want to make that happen in terms of maybe that someone already comes to mind, like, gosh, that person's amazing. There's almost a little bit of hero worship or something. Yeah. Or if someone doesn't even come to mind at all, it's like, well, I probably should get some input from somewhere. What Mm -hmm. would you say would be the very first steps? Well, the funny thing is, it's not really about starting with somebody else. It's actually about starting with yourself. So kind of the first step really is to figure out like, what is it 
that you want and what is it that you're good at? So like, what are your strengths that you can build on and that you can actually offer to a potential mentor? Because you don't want to just be like, you know, grabby, grabby, needy, needy. You want to kind of come across as somebody who has something to offer as well. And then thinking about, all right, well, what specifically is it that I hope to gain from a mentor? Because I think the more specific that you can be with people, then the more they're able to make a determination if this is something they can really invest in. And then I would say, you know, I always say like dream big, like who are the kind of rock star go-to people in your field? And maybe you can't get to them, but maybe you can get to people who know people near them. And so sometimes even just trying to reach out to somebody in your field will take you on a path, will maybe take you to an event where you'll meet people around them and you'll get to them eventually. Does that make sense? I hear you. Yes. Well, so then you start with that introspection and Mm -hmm. then you go about identifying and reaching out. And so are there any particulars you'd suggest in terms of the communication? I almost said the pitch, but (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, that moment in which you kind of put out the offer or this is kind of what I'm looking for and what I can bring to the table. How might that sound in practice? That's a really good question because I think a lot of people get very confused. It's similar to like a dating thing. You wouldn't want to call someone up in the first date and say, you know, would you marry me? So same thing. You don't want to reach out on a cold call and say, you know, would you be my mentor? It's like, gosh, I don't even know you. Instead, I think it's best to if you can have someone provide an introduction, like make a warm connect, that's first of all. And if you can't, there's nothing wrong with a cold connect. There was just a great article that I read about Tyra Banks reaching out to Tony Shea at Zappos. Now, of course, that's famous person reaching out to famous person. So, you know, it's a little different situation than most of us are in. However, that idea of using a cold call and making a small ask, I think is really relevant. So reaching out to someone and saying, you know, could I have 15 minutes of your time and ask you these three questions? And I remember I had somebody years ago who did this. I mean, I get this a lot. And the thing that so impressed me is he showed me that through his three questions that he had read my work. So he had two very specific questions that were also provocative and interesting and kind of made me think about things differently. But then the third question he asked me was, and how can I be helpful to you? And so literally when I got on the phone with him, his third question was, how can I be helpful to you? And I was like, oh, okay. You know, you're the first person who's ever asked me that. And then I suddenly had, and then it was an amazing conversation and we did stay in touch and we were helpful to each other. So I think if you can kind of have those ideas in mind, show that you've done your background research, do a small ask first, and then think about how you can be helpful to them. That's a really great way to go about approaching someone. All right. So that's an email. It's like, I'd love to chat for 15 minutes. I want to ask you three key questions. Mm -hmm. And then the key questions indicate that they have done their homework. They've done their research. They are thinking deeply and smartly about the stuff. And the third one is a generous offering of some sort built in. Exactly. Cool. All right. That sounds great. So then once it's up and running, can you offer some perspective maybe on the notion of the protege giving back or it being a two-way street? Because I think that many a protege might say, oh, but this person's so amazing and impressive and established. You know, what could little old me offer them? I think sometimes there's a little bit of a voice of smallness 
in a response to that kind of advice. So could you maybe bring it to life with some examples with your interviews of 50 mentors, protégés of kind of esteem? What have you seen or ways that protégés have really been helpful to their mentors? Yeah, that's a great question. So in fact, it's funny because I remember one of the quotes from my book, I talked with the protégé of the U.S. treasurer, who at that time was Rosadio Marin. And her protégé talked about, she's way up there and I'm way down here. What can she ever see in me? How can I ever help her? You know, and she talked about how as the relationship evolved, that voice saying, you know, she's way up there, I'm way down here. It started to get smaller because what she realized is that there were things that she could do. So for example, this person... Rosario went to D.C., Adeseli, her protege was still here in L.A. in Southern California. She was able to keep her connected with what was happening in Los Angeles. So she served as a communication conduit. I know a lot of times I deal with this with my 20-year-old students. So I say to them, now you got to go out and get a mentor. And as wonderful and brilliant as they are, they do feel that sense of, oh gosh, I'm not worthy or what do I have to offer? And I mean, honestly, (laughs) one of the greatest things that you can offer is energy and enthusiasm because I think probably none of us get enough appreciation for what we do. And so often when I hear back from mentors of my millennials, they say, gosh, it's just so nice to have someone be interested and appreciate and help me remember, you know, what it is that I loved about this field. Oh, that's excellent. So energy and enthusiasm, you know, we can all provide that, that appreciation. What else? Again, it kind of gets back into your personal strengths. I mean, I guess I'm just thinking about like someone I'm mentoring right now and she's on the job market. And so I've been helping her with connections, but she's been helping me. You know, she brought kind of this new perspective of what's going on with people in their 20s and 30s. And so for me, it was like that fresh perspective from her. All right. That's excellent. So, well, tell us, Ellen, is there anything else you'd like to make sure to mention before we kind of shift gears and hear about your favorite things? I think the biggest thing I wanted to mention is just for people to really understand that mentoring is not just about improving your professional life. It's also so helpful in your personal life. In fact, I have a personal self-disclosure story around that if you'd like me to share that. Let's hear it. Okay. So let's see. Today is May 4th. Well, in two days, May 6th, I will celebrate my two-year anniversary of being a breast cancer survivor. And the reason this relates to mentoring is because when I got the news that I had breast cancer, I was shocked and horrified, as I'm sure everyone is. You know, and what happens when you have that kind of news is you realize, oh my gosh, suddenly my identity just shifted. I just went from being a professor and a mom and a consultant and an author to being a patient. Yuck. And you have to acquire all this new knowledge really, really quickly. And so I realized, wait a minute, I know how to do this. I know how to acquire new knowledge. I know how to get a network. I need to get mentors. And so as soon as I got the news, I put it out there to a group of moms and I assembled a team of cancer mentors for myself. And so I had, you know, women who coached me through chemo. I had, you know, women who gave me ideas about how to be like a medical advocate. I had, you know, mentors for kind of transitioning back to work. 
and then, you know, coming back, I was able to, we actually have a cancer mentoring network here on campus. And, you know, it's so wonderful to like be on the other side of that. And I do a lot of mentoring for women who are breast cancer patients and survivors. So it was something, (laughs) to be honest with you, it gave new life to what I had been doing professionally because I always knew mentoring mattered. Like, yeah, you get to make more money. But really at the end of the day, when you have like a personal crisis, realizing if you can acquire that skill of knowing how to get a team of mentors, it can save your life. There you go. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and opening up. And you're doing well now. I'm doing great. Fantastic. Thank you. And I think in a way that inspires me (laughs) in a way, it almost just makes me think of the (laughs) A-team. I don't know. Yeah. Talk about opening up. I guess I'm thinking that old show with, you know, Mr. T and the gold chain and the the A-team. It's like, there's something kind of exciting about, hey, there's some high stakes here, like life itself. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to assemble a group of folks who can come together and each contribute something to come away with a very powerful, important, meaningful outcome on the other side. And then everybody is enriched along the way. That's fantastic. Right. Because when you think about it, I mean, life is going to keep handing us unexpected challenges. It's like sometimes we take on new identities that we plan to have. Like, yay, I got a promotion. Now I'm a manager. Other times we get handed new identities and we have to acquire new skill sets that we didn't want. But if you can get this team of mentors, it can really help to buffer you through that process and kind of get up and going and up to speed on it and get through it. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote that you find inspiring? (laughs) Well, my mom always said, this too shall pass. All right. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? So right now, one of my favorite studies is a study that my co-author Susan Murphy and I did a couple of years ago when we looked at relational challenges. So it's kind of the idea that in an interpersonal relationship, you know how people challenge each other a little bit or they have little tests like, you know, how do I look in this pair of pants? Does my butt look big in these jeans? And then how that partner responds is often a big test of what's going to happen. Well, same thing happens in mentoring. So sometimes a mentor will say to a protege, hey, you know, why don't you reach out to this person or read this book? And then if the protege does it, great. If not, the mentor is kind of disappointed and the relationship can kind of end. And we're starting some new research looking at this in Europe as well. It's kind of the idea that realizing when you're in a relationship with a mentor that there are these tests and challenges, sometimes they're very subtle. And that when somebody makes a suggestion, for example, to to follow through with it because it's really an opportunity to impress them. And that's interesting. Now, when you say tests, I guess I'm thinking sometimes they are maybe explicit in the mind of the test issuer. Like, we'll just Mm -hmm. see what happens here. And other times they're more just implicit. Like folks, they think, oh, this is a good idea. And then they just sort of notice that you didn't do it. And then they're just a little bit soured on it. Like, oh, well, maybe you're not that into this. That's exactly it. Because most mentors, when you ask them that, Most people don't realize that they're even posing these tests right away. But then as you probe, the protégés are very aware of that. And as people really think about it, they realize like, oh, yeah, I do kind of test people. Most of us do. (laughs) Okay. I will be reflecting on the implications of this for my wife. (laughs) (laughs) And how about a favorite book? 
Well, I love to read and really one of my favorites is The Circle. And it's not just because the movie's out right now. I read it years ago. It became our book of the year here on campus. And I love it because it's just creepy good. And it's kind of like technology gone awry. And I love the author. He's really into social justice and does a lot for kids. So it's kind of the whole package. The other one I love right now, more businessy, is Presuasion by oh, Robert yes. Cialdini. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. So I was so reading good. that on my honeymoon. <laughs> 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 Little Hawaii beach read. Nice. And how about a favorite tool? Well, you're going to laugh at this. My favorite tool is to delegate everything that I possibly can. So I am really busy as a professor and as a writer and as a speaker and as a mom and as a wife and as a friend and as a daughter. And so I kind of look at my favorite tool is having a team of research assistants, honestly, having people who help me at home, realizing that when my son was struggling in math, instead of me figuring it out, I could get a tutor, a college student who's much more familiar with that. So I think my favorite tool is delegation and getting help. Oh, thank you. And how about, is there a particular nugget that really seems to resonate with folks and articulation of your message that makes people seem to take notes or nod their heads all the more vigorously? I mean, I think it's the have a network of different types of mentors. All right. And Ellen, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So my website, ellenensure.com is great. Of course, I'm also on LinkedIn, Twitter, and I have a Facebook page too. But probably best to stop at the website. I've got the TEDx top there, the links to the LinkedIn classes, as well as just some other mentoring resources that people can access in a blog. Oh, great. Thank you. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, I think it's obvious for me to say get a mentor, but I think I would also say the other side of that is to be a mentor. So to look for opportunities where you can actively mentor others, and that can happen at any point. So high school students can mentor middle school students. Middle school students can mentor the lower grades. So if you're working in the workforce, there's always someone, even if it's just college students that you could mentor. So be a mentor and get a mentor. Like always have both sides of the equation going because I think one role informs the other and it will build some empathy and skills both ways. Perfect. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for taking this time right at the end of the semester insanity. (laughs) This has been a lot of fun and, and I hope you enjoy the summer. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I loved, loved, loved that part about energy and enthusiasm is something that everyone has to offer. And I think it's something that we can undercount, undervalue, underappreciate because it feels good when folks are into your life, your history, your experience, your expertise, what you dig and have invested a lot of yourself into. When someone else is into that, it is just a good time. And that's something that all of us could bring to the table, whether we've got any sick skills that we can offer or connections or not. We've all got the energy and enthusiasm. So I thought that was a nice potential antidote to any kind of resistance. If you're thinking, oh, I've got nothing to offer. We all do. Even if it's nothing more than that energy and enthusiasm. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we reference here, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep163. And if you haven't already, I hope you push subscribe so you'll be sure to catch folks like our next guest. It's Brad Stolberg. 
He's talking about managing time and energy for high performance, more time of great focus and being in the zone. And I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 